Robert Mueller finally comes forward and makes an enormous statement and the Supreme Court speaks out about abortion. We'll explain. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, you know that feeling when you've planned out an entire show and then five minutes before the show, the entire show gets blown up because Robert Mueller decides that he finally will speak. It's like Greta Garbo. Finally, finally, Mueller speaks. We'll get to all of that in a second. We will break down every word he said, what it means. It's cryptic. It's fascinating. We'll get to all of it. First, in 1966, Alan Greenspan famously said deficit spending is simply a scheme for the confiscation of wealth. This is obviously true. With the federal deficit currently touching $1 trillion per year, what are you doing to protect your savings from this confiscation scheme? Alan Greenspan offered one solution, saying gold stands in the way of this insidious process. Can you afford another hit to your retirement like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? Hedge against inflation, hedge against uncertainty and instability with precious metals. The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. Right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is perfect for those who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any future geopolitical uncertainty. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group, get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. This comprehensive 16-page kit reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of risky stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA, if that's something you're into. To get that no-cost, no-obligation kit, text BEN to 474747. Again, text the word BEN, my name, to 474747. Okay, so this morning was a very big morning. Greta Garbo speaks. Robert Mueller, who's been absolutely silent for nigh on two years at this point, came to the podium to announce that he was done. Mic drop, he's out. Now, we sort of have to back up for a second and explain what Robert Mueller's role was supposed to be here. He was the special prosecutor in what was a counterintelligence investigation originally. The counterintelligence investigation was about Russian collusion, Russian participation in the 2016 election. And on the basis of that, Mueller brought a bevy of prosecutions against people who were part of the Trump campaign and not part of the Trump campaign, against people like Paul Manafort, people like George Papadopoulos, and also against a bunch of Russians who were actually involved in election, in, uh, election interference. And so that was Bob Mueller's mandate. And then that mandate expanded to include investigation of obstruction of justice. Now, Bob Mueller sort of claimed in the Mueller report that he didn't actually have the authority to recommend a prosecution of the president of the United States because of a 1973 Office of Legal Counsel Department of Justice memo that said a sitting president cannot be indicted. That memo is somewhat controversial. There are some people who think the president should be able to be indicted. Some people think he shouldn't. But Mueller made clear in his report that the OLC ruling he was going to abide by. Now, just because he was abiding by the OLC ruling does not mean that he would have prosecuted Trump if he had the opportunity to do so. In other words, the OLC, the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel memo, was a threshold issue. It's what we call the threshold issue in law. The threshold issue is, if that applies, can you prosecute the president? That does not answer the question of, if it did not apply, would you prosecute the president? So what Mueller's report basically said is, we can't prosecute the president, and we're not even going to reach the other issue, which is, should the president be prosecuted if there were no Office of Legal Counsel memo? Now, William Barr, the Attorney General of the United States, had suggested that Mueller said that he did not see sufficient evidence in the absence of the OLC memo to recommend prosecution. Right? That was what Barr actually testified before Congress. Now, unless Barr perjured himself, both of those things can be true. That Mueller saw the OLC memo as prohibiting him from prosecuting, and also, even without the OLC memo, he wouldn't necessarily have the evidence to prosecute Trump 
under obstruction of justice statutes. The Mueller report itself is very damning of Trump's behavior. And so basically what Mueller did, and I said this at the time, what Mueller did is he basically set out the pathway to impeachment if Democrats chose to take it. It was obvious that prosecutors in Mueller's office saw the president as politically impeachable, if not criminally prosecutable. And those are two different standards. Criminally prosecutable is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Now you have to go to prison. You have to pay the legal penalty. Impeachment is a political standard that does not require a criminal trial in the same way that you normally would. Reasonable doubt doesn't come into it. So there is a, an impeachment trial in the Senate, but that does not require a standard of evidence adduced beyond a reasonable doubt. So all of that is predicate to what Mueller had to say today. So Mueller comes to the podium and everybody is sort of reading this Mueller statement as a Rorschach test. So people who want to see Trump impeached are saying, here's Mueller providing evidence for impeachment. And here is Mueller going after William Barr. People who are defenders of the president are saying, Mueller's telling us what we already knew, basically. Mueller isn't adding anything. I think the truth is sort of somewhere in between, as, as always. So Robert Mueller finally comes to the podium, and his basic statement is, I'm not solving your problems for you. I put out a 448-page report. If you want to read it, it's right there in the public view. You can see it. We're going to go through Mueller's actual statement here in great detail. So you're going to get the whole thing plus analysis. So here is Robert Mueller. He gets up in front of that podium, and finally, Greta Garbo speaks. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for being here. Two years ago, the acting attorney general asked me to serve as special counsel, and he created the special counsel's office. The appointment order directed the office to investigate Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. This included investigating any links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign. Now, I have not spoken publicly during our investigation. I'm speaking out today because our investigation is complete. The Attorney General has made the report on our investigation largely public. We are formally closing the special counsel's office, and as well, I'm resigning from the Department of Justice to return to private life. I'll sit there for one second. So the fact is that a thousand Democrat screams can be heard right now. Mueller is not going to do their work for them. In other words, if Democrats wish to impeach, it is now on them. You know, there was this weird hope that was still out there from the Krasenstein brothers wing of the Democratic Party that Mueller had not closed the office of special counsel because he was secretly working on stuff that we didn't know about yet. Obviously, that is untrue. Mueller is saying, I am out. My report is done. We are done here. Everything is done. If Congress wants to pick up the ball, that would be on Congress. And that's where he goes next. I'll make a few remarks about the results of our work. But beyond these few remarks, it is important that the office's written work speak for itself. Let me begin where the appointment order begins, and that is interference in the 2016 presidential election. As alleged by the grand jury in an indictment, Russian intelligence officers who were part of the Russian military launched a concerted attack on our political system. The indictment alleges that they used sophisticated cyber techniques to hack into computers and networks used by the Clinton campaign. They stole private information and then released that information through fake online identities and through the organization WikiLeaks. The releases were designed and timed to interfere with our election and to damage a presidential candidate. And at the same time as the grand jury alleged in a separate indictment, 
a private Russian entity engaged in a social media operation where Russian citizens posed as Americans in order to influence an, an election. Pause it there for a second. So first, let us point out this entire thing began as an investigation, not really a criminal investigation, a counterintelligence investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. The fact that it then morphed into a quote unquote criminal investigation was kind of weird because the fact is that the counterintelligence investigation allows all sorts of resource to be, resources to be brought to bear that wouldn't necessarily be available in a criminal investigation without proper proof. So this is one of the complaints of Team Trump, the Trump campaign. What they say is, why were counterintelligence measures being used that caught us up in them without any sort of criminal standard being applied? We're, we're domestic American citizens. The use of FISA warrants against Carter Page, for example, without proper evidence, that seems more like a counterintelligence investigation than a criminal investigation, but Carter Page is an American citizen and the standard ought to be higher. So when we talk about the difference between a counterintelligence investigation and a criminal investigation, this becomes very important. The Mueller team and the investigation generally has straddled that line and it's made for some real awkwardness because people don't know which resources are being brought to bear and who the target is. Is the target Russian actors and then Trump being in ancillary fashion swept up into the investigation or was the target Team Trump? And that confusion has led to all sorts of animus on the part of Team Trump, I think not entirely unjustifiably, and a lot of animus on the other side from people saying, listen, we're not targeting Team Trump. We're trying to stop Russian election interference. That was our job. So what are you ripping on us for? Mueller continues. These indictments contain allegations, and we are not commenting on the guilt or the innocence of any specific defendant. Every defendant is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. The indictments allege and the other activities in our report describe efforts to interfere in our political system. They needed to be investigated and understood, and that is among the reasons why the Department of Justice established our office. That is also a reason we investigated efforts to obstruct the investigation. The matters we investigated were of paramount importance. It was critical for us to obtain full and accurate information from every person we questioned. When a subject of an investigation obstructs that investigation or lies to investigators, it strikes at the core of their government's effort to find the truth and hold wrongdoers accountable. Let me say a word about the report. The report has two parts, addressing the two main issues we were asked to investigate. The first volume of the report details numerous efforts emanating from Russia to influence the election. This volume includes a discussion of the Trump campaign's response to this activity, as well as our conclusion that there was insufficient evidence to charge a broader conspiracy. We're going to get to more what Robert Mueller says here in a second. First, it is worthwhile noting that when he talks about obstruction, and you'll see later, he talks at length about obstruction of justice and President Trump and all the rest. He did not bring obstruction of justice charges against anyone. Okay, obstruction of justice charges were not brought against, for example, Donald Trump Jr. for theoretically lying to him in some way. Obstruction, just, uh, obstruction of justice charges were not brought against Donald McGahn. Those people are not barred from prosecution. And so for all the talk about how Mueller is going to say, and you'll hear him say it later, that the president was not cleared of obstruction of justice under this investigative standard, the fact is he could have prosecuted a bunch of people in the Trump administration without having to worry about the OLC ruling 
Mueller did not decide to recommend that. So that is worth noting here, too, because Trump isn't the only member of Team Trump. Now, we're going to get to more of Robert Mueller's very important statement in just one second. First, you shouldn't have to choose between overpriced designer sunglasses and cheap shades. They're not going to last you this summer. That is why I'll never wear anything other than movement sunglasses. They really are fantastic. You've heard us talk about movement disrupting the watch industry. Now they're doing it with sunglasses. The Los Angeles-based accessories premium brand has hundreds of affordable sunglass, sunglass styles to choose from, constructed with durable acetate, lightweight materials that, for that perfect, reliable fit. You don't have to choose between style and function. You get both. I love movement watches, and their sunglasses are just terrific as well. With their free shipping and returns policy, you can try on as many styles as you want right from home. My wife has movement sunglasses. I have movement sunglasses as well. They are awesome, and they're not going to cost you an arm and a leg. Movement sunglasses start at 60 bucks. No pair prices over 95 bucks. So you are guaranteed to find a style you love with quality that doesn't break the bank. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com Shapiro. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. Go to mvmt.com Shapiro. Join the movement. That's mvmt.com Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Great company and their product is awesome. I love it. I mean, I'm wearing a movement watch right now. You can see it right here upon my wrist. I'd be wearing sunglasses too, but that's inappropriate for my studio show. Go to movement.com, mvmt.com slash Shapiro and join the movement. Okay, Robert Mueller continues with his big, long-awaited statement. Again, this is the first time he has spoken publicly in years. And in the second volume, the report describes the results and analysis of our obstruction of justice investigation involving the president. The order appointing me special counsel authorized us to investigate actions that could obstruct the investigation. We conducted that investigation and we kept the office of the acting attorney general apprised of the progress of our work. And as set forth in the report, after that investigation, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. Pause it there. Now. That is a line that people are jumping on, particularly members of the media. If we had evidence that the president did not commit a crime, we would have said so. That is not even close to a po- prosecutorial standard. That is not close to a prosecutorial standard. It's absurd, frankly, that Mueller would spill that in public. Because the job of the special counsel is not to exonerate the president on charges. The job of the special counsel is, in fact, to determine whether there is evidence sufficient to prosecute. Can you imagine? If every prosecutor said, listen, I can't clear this guy, can't clear him, that shifts the burden of proof to the defendant, right? The way that it works in our criminal justice system is you actually have to prove guilt. You don't have to prove innocence. So what he is saying there is that when Trump says he was exonerated, that's nonsense, right? This is obviously Mueller subtweeting Trump. Trump has been saying he was exonerated. I have said all along since the day of the Mueller report, no, he was not exonerated, but there was not evidence sufficient to charge, according to Mueller himself. Mueller is obviously subtweeting the president, but he's confusing the standard in the process. Now, there are a lot of people who are saying what this really is, is Mueller saying to Congress, listen, it's on you guys, right? Because the standard when it comes to Congress is not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. I didn't clear him. That means that there is some evidence of obstruction of justice. If you guys want to take that and run, all you guys. But that is not his purview, right? He's a special counsel. His job is not to recommend impeachment to Congress. That's the legislative branch's job. You now have a member of the executive branch who apparently is effectively saying to Congress, if you guys want to impeach the president, it's all on you guys, all you. It's very weird stuff that Mueller is doing here. He's acting defensive, and it really, I mean, frankly, I don't think that it's up to his standard of clarity for him to do that. I've been a longtime defender of Mueller. I've said that I think the man is honest. I think that he has been doing his work honestly, but I don't think that it is particularly honest for a special counsel to get up there and say, we didn't clear the president. That was not your job. That was not your job. 
Now, I understand you're pissed off that Trump is falsely claiming he was exonerated when you said nothing about exoneration or prosecution. With that said, that is not the legal standard that ought to be applied right here. And it's kind of dangerous to have special counsels basically reversing the burden of proof and saying that we didn't exonerate Trump. Not your job to exonerate Trump. Okay, so in a second, we're going to continue with Robert Mueller's statement. And Guy Benson points out, and he's exactly correct. If Robert Mueller had the evidence, Mueller could have identified criminal conduct and recommended charges and then let the DOJ decide whether the OLC guidance would or would not permit those charges being filed against the sitting president of the United States. Instead, he decided not to recommend anything. We'll get to his statements about the OLC now. So here is Robert Mueller continuing with his statements about obstruction. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. The introduction to the volume two of our report explains that decision. It explains that under long-standing department policy, a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. That is unconstitutional. Even if the charge is kept under seal and hidden from public view, that too is prohibited. It there. So now what people are saying is that the Attorney General William Barr must have lied because what Barr said is that Mueller told him that he was not going to charge Trump even in absence of the OLC statute or that he didn't have evidence sufficient even under the OLC statute. Here it seems to be saying what Robert Mueller, the, the way people are reading it, if they don't like President Trump and if they want to prosecute Trump or impeach him, well, the way that they're reading it, it's a plausible read, is that Robert Mueller is basically saying we didn't reach a determination and we didn't reach a determination because the OLC rules prevent us from making a determination. Now, that's not actually true, right? That part's not actually true. You could make a determination as to whether the president ought to be prosecuted and then say, but OLC rules forbid it. That's not actually what Mueller is saying. What Mueller is actually saying, to be legally specific, what Mueller is actually saying, I think here, is that the OLC rules do not allow us to prosecute the president. Because the OLC rules do not allow us to prosecute the president, it was not important for us to actually issue a ruling as to whether he is prosecutable because he is not, in fact, prosecutable. So what that means is we did not actually make the determination. So then the question becomes, why were you bothering to investigate this in the first place? If, according to Mueller, the OLC opinion prevents prosecution, then why did you bother investigating obstruction of justice at any point here? Because the president is not prosecutable. So why did we just spend $30 million investigating obstruction of justice just to not just to come to a conclusion that you could have reached in the first five minutes, which is OLC rules forbid us from ruling on this sort of stuff. What is the point of this? Now, the what is the point of this question is leading critics of the president and, and fans of impeachment to say what Mueller was really doing is on the public dime he was setting up an impeachment inquiry. Because again, what Mueller is saying here is OLC rules forbid me from prosecuting the president. Therefore, I did not reach any sort of ruling on whether the president is or is not prosecutable. So people are rightly saying, okay, so what was your job here? Why were you investigating? Right? If you're forbidden from prosecuting for a particular case of murder, for example, let's say that there's a double indemnity rule. O.J. Simpson was acquitted on his ex-wife's murder. Let's say that the LAPD opens up a new investigation on the basis of no new evidence about O.J.'s murder of his ex-wife. Well, he's not prosecutable under current criminal law in the United States, right? There is a double jeopardy provision that prevents you from prosecuting someone twice for the same crime. Let's say the LAPD does all of that. And then they come out with a statement. They say, by the way, we kind of think that OJ was guilty, turns out. Okay, why are you wasting your time? That's the question here. Why is Robert Mueller wasting his time on, on investigating obstruction of justice if he knew in the first 30 seconds of his appointment that he had no capacity to actually issue 
any sort of opinion on prosecuting the president. And the answer that's being given by some is that what he's actually trying to do is set up the predicate for an impeachment inquiry into the president by Congress of the United States. I think that is probably right. I think that Mueller, in his heart of hearts, wants to see Trump impeached. I think he thinks that Trump is guilty, not guilty enough for him to prosecute and not possible to prosecute him under the OLC, but certainly guilty enough for impeachment, which again has a different criminal standard, not the criminal standard of the criminal justice system. It's a political standard. I think that's why people who are on the right, many of them are saying, that's not Mueller's job. Why is Mueller actually now engaged in, in setting up all of the dominoes for impeachment for Democrats? That's, that's kind of the math here. So the math here seems to be not that, that Mueller would have recommended prosecution in the absence of the OLC ruling, because he himself says, I didn't reach a determination on that. But that he is more saying, okay, well, if Congress wants to impeach, I set it all out for you here. It's a 448 page report. Boom, right on the table. Mueller continues. The special counsel's office is part of the Department of Justice. And by regulation, it was bound by that department policy. Charging the president with a crime was therefore not an option we could consider. The department's written opinion explaining the policy makes several important points that further informed our handling of the obstruction investigation. Those points are summarized in our report and I will describe two of them for you. First, the opinion explicitly permits the investigation of a sitting president because it is important to preserve evidence while memories are fresh and documents available. So now he is saying, we had to do all of this. So he's answering the question we just asked. Okay, so you couldn't prosecute him. So what the hell was all of this about? He says, well, we wanted to keep the memories fresh. I'm sorry, you're not in the historical record business, my friend. You're not a librarian. It is not your job to spend taxpayer dollars to keep memories fresh if you have no actual process for prosecution and if prosecution is not going to be available after the president leaves office. Now, that's the other question. Maybe... What Mueller is doing here is setting up the evidence, not only for impeachment, for the possibility that if the president is no longer president, then he could be prosecuted for obstruction of justice. Right? That after Trump is no longer president, no, no longer sitting president, the DOJ could come after him for obstruction of justice. Maybe that is what Mueller is saying here. Maybe that's the case that he's making. We have to preserve the historical record for future prosecution, even though under OLC regulations, we can't prosecute him right now. That's a possibility that Mueller is leaving open. I'll explain more of that in just one second. First, Let's talk about your neighborhood and making it safer. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you'll get an alert. You'll be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. That is thanks to HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. So I have Ring at my house. I am deeply concerned about personal security. As you all know, I get a lot of death threats. I get a lot of people who are not huge fans. And that means that I really care about safety on my property. That's why I rely on Ring. As a listener, you have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now. Why shouldn't you have the same security I do? With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. Make your property safer. Make sure that your family is safe. Now, the fact is that one of the ways that burglars come into your house very often is they ring the doorbell to see whether you're home or not. With the Ring kit... They ring your doorbell and you can pick up from your phone so they don't know whether you're home or not. Go check them out right now at ring.com slash Ben for the special deal. That's ring.com slash Ben. Okay, so we're going through Robert Mueller's statement in detail. So far, he's made a couple of key points. The key point seems to be, number one, that he says that OLC regulations, that the Department of Justice 
Office of Legal Counsel regulations prevented him from making a determination as to the guilt or innocence of President Trump on obstruction of justice. Okay, and a lot of people are taking that to mean, well, if the president weren't the president, he'd prosecute him. Maybe, maybe not. He didn't reach that determination. And then he makes the broader point that the president is not exonerated because he's just not exonerated. But again, that's not his standard. The question is, you basically, Mueller has left it as vague as it was before. We don't know whether Mueller would prosecute him in the absence of OLC standards. The only thing that we do know is that Barr said in April before Congress, quote, Rod Rosenstein and I asked Robert Mueller when we met with him on March 5th whether he would have made obstruction a crime, but for the OLC opinion. He made it clear several times that it was not his position. So unless Barr is perjuring himself, which presumably now Mueller will be called to testify about that by Democrats, they're not going to let him off this easy. Unless Barr perjured himself, this means that what Mueller really is doing here is setting up an impeachment inquiry. What Mueller is really doing here is saying to Democrats in Congress, listen, I provided you the roadmap. Criminal standards, criminal justice standards are not the same as impeachment standards. Go with God. It's on you now. And it's pretty obvious that, listen, you read the report. It's obvious that Mueller's team wanted to see Trump burn. right? And and I'm not saying that they were unjustified in their assessment of Trump's behavior. Trump's behavior is egregious in the Mueller report. I mean, really, really bad behavior. Whether that rises to the level of criminality is questionable. And whether that level of uh, behavior rises to the level of impeachment, I sort of doubt it. I don't think it, it prevents Trump from acting as an effective president in the absence of openly criminal conduct. In any case, Robert Mueller continues with his statement. Among other things, that evidence could be used if there were co-conspirators who could be charged now. And second, the opinion says that the Constitution requires a process other than the criminal justice system to formally accuse a sitting president of wrongdoing. Directly calling out impeachment right there. Right. What is the process other than the criminal justice system to accuse the president of wrongdoing? That is Mueller openly calling on impeachment. Right. That is the impeachment process that he is invoking right there. As I say, I think that the Mueller report is basically a roadmap to impeachment, not a criminal justice standard, not a criminal, which means that he wasn't actually doing the job he was supposed to be doing. He was doing the job that Congress was supposed to be doing, which does cast some questions on what exactly was the purpose of the special counsel report in the first place. And when it came to the star report, the star report uncovered overt criminal activity. And the Star Report recommended impeachment based on actual crimes, actual crimes. The Mueller report doesn't recommend even criminal activity. It doesn't even say the criminal activity took place, but they're saying, okay, well, if you investigate, maybe you can come to some sort of impeachable offense buried somewhere in here. Mueller continues. And beyond department policy, we were guided by principles of fairness. It would be unfair to potentially it would be unfair to potentially accuse somebody of a crime when there can be no court resolution of the actual charge. So that was Justice Department policy. Those were the principles under which we operated. And from them, we concluded that we would, would not reach a determination one way or the other about whether the president committed a crime. That is the office's, that is the office's final position and we will not comment on any other conclusions or hypotheticals about the president. Pause it there. That, so that last statement is him saying that if they call me to testify, if Democrats call me to testify, and if they ask me whether I would prosecute Trump in the absence of the OLC memo, I'm not going to answer them. Right? That is what Mueller is saying right there. He's saying, basically, here is the giant ink blot that I have provided to you. Read in it what you will. This is no longer my job. I've given you everything that you asked me to give you. 
I even went beyond the boundaries of what really I should be doing, right? Which is uncovering criminal conduct. So if you got a problem with that, too bad, go read the report. We conducted an independent criminal investigation and reported the results to the Attorney General as required by department regulations. The Attorney General then concluded that it was appropriate to provide our report to Congress and to the American people. At one point in time, I requested that certain portions of the report be released. The Attorney General preferred to make, that in, preferred to make the entire report public all at once. And we appreciate that the Attorney General made the report largely public, and I certainly do not question the Attorney General's good faith in that decision. Was it there? So this debunks one of the Democrats' talking points. So the Democrats' talking point is that Barr obstructed the report because he didn't want the public to know about what was in there and that he was stopping Robert Mueller's great information from reaching the public. This was always a stupid contention. Barr put out his final legal finding. His original four-page legal finding was a legal finding. It, it had nothing to do with impeachment. Remember, what Mueller is mostly talking about here is impeachment stuff. He's mostly not talking about criminal justice stuff. Barr is talking specifically about criminal justice stuff. Is the president worthy of prosecution? Barr says no. That was his four-page letter. And then three weeks later, he releases the entire report. And this is Mueller himself saying that was not a delay that was designed to obfuscate. That was not a delay that was designed to allow Barr to hide anything. Mueller himself is saying Barr was honest when it came to releasing the report. That gets rid of one major Democratic talking point, which is that somehow in those three weeks, the entire narrative was spun and the report was somehow corrupted. Mueller says, listen, you can go buy it on Amazon. You want to read the report? Go buy the report. You can read it on it. You can read it for free online. Enjoy yourself. The fact is that I don't think, this is what Mueller is saying, I don't think that Attorney General Barr was doing something deeply wrong in waiting to release the entire report as a piece, and I don't doubt his motivation in doing that. So there goes one Democratic talking point. Mueller continues. Now, I hope and expect this to be the only time that I will speak to you in this manner. I am making that decision myself. No one has told me whether I can or should testify or speak further about this matter. There has been discussion about an appearance before Congress. Any testimony from this office would not go beyond our report. Pause it there. He's saying, I don't want to testify, and that is not Trump stopping me. That is not Barr stopping me. That is me stopping me. I don't feel like testifying. Now, Democrats are going to subpoena him. They're going to ask him specifically the only question that matters. In the absence of the OLC report, would you prosecute the president? Right? That's, that's the only question they're going to be able to ask him. And did Attorney General Barr lie when he said that you wouldn't, or that at least that was not your determining factor, your sole determining factor? That's going to be the question that they ask Mueller. There's no question Democrats call him at this point. But Mueller's saying, listen, I'm a lawyer. I wrote this thing. Read it. Enjoy it. It's not obstructed. Democrats have been claiming that Mueller is being obstructed by the Trump administration from testifying. There is Robert Mueller killing another Democratic talking point. So a, lot of, a lot of talking points are dying today in this Mueller report. Talking point number one from the Trump side, Trump's been exonerated. He has not. Talking point number two from the Trump side is that President Trump is not worthy of impeachment because no criminal justice action was taken. That one is still open because, again, the difference between impeachment and criminal justice is that impeachment is a political standard. Criminal justice is a legal standard. Those are two talking points from the Trump side. Talking points from the left, that there was obstruction by Attorney General Barr. That's been basically debunked here. And also the idea that there's current obstruction taking place that Mueller would testify were it not for the evil Trump administration. Mueller's saying, no, I don't want to talk to you guys. You're annoying me. It's basically Mueller's statement here. Now we're going to get to the rest of Mueller's statement in just one second. First, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, 
Hiring can be easy. You only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one. They spotlight the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. It is so effective. We use it here at Daily Wire, which is one of the reasons why, if there's a screw up on the show, a ZipRecruiter chosen person could replace someone here today. I know this is basically like that scene from The Dark Knight where the Joker splits the, uh, the, pew, the, the pool cue and then decides, but hey man, we run a business around here and you can too at ZipRecruiter. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Okay, we'll get to the rest of the Mueller statement today, the groundbreaking, earth-shaking Mueller statement. We'll also get to Justin Amash, the Michigan congressperson who's now pushing for impeachment. There's no question impeachment talk is going to heat up after Mueller's statement. We'll get to all that in just a second. First, go subscribe over at dailywire.com. When you do, you get the rest of this show live. Like, you get the rest of the show. Plus, you get two additional hours this afternoon. We're going to have plenty of guests to talk about what Mueller said here, what legal standards should be. We're going to get into abortion. We're going to get into all sorts of hot-button issues because we do every day here on The Ben Shapiro Show. That just costs you $9.99 a month. Now, I'm making an explicit appeal to you. One of the reasons that we need you to subscribe is because it does make us quote-unquote technology-proof. It prevents the left from targeting us and trying to make our show unsustainable. I mean, this is, there are people who listen to the show every day at Media Matters who are deliberately attempting to take down the show on a daily basis. One of the things that helps us prevent that sort of garbage is your subscription. So we really appreciate you helping us out. Also, when you spend 99 bucks a year, you get the annual subscription, which comes along with this, the leftist year's hot or cold tumbler. Check that out. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff right there. You get that for $99 a year, which is cheaper than the monthly subscription. Also, we have great Sunday specials coming up, like terrific ones coming up every Sunday. You get those on Saturday when you're a subscriber, plus questions that are behind the paywall. You get to ask questions in our mailbag, all sorts of goodies. Go check us out right now. Also, check us out at YouTube and iTunes. Once again, we are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so we're finishing up with the Mueller statement here. So Mueller is quickly reaching his conclusion about his report. He continues. It contains our findings and analysis and the reasons for the decisions we made. We chose those words carefully and the work speaks for itself. And the report is my testimony. I would not provide information beyond that which is already public in any appearance before Congress. In addition, access to our underlying work product is being decided in a process that does, that does not involve our office. So beyond what I've said here today and what is contained in our written work, I do not believe it is appropriate for me to speak further about the investigation or to comment on the actions of the Justice Department or Congress. And it's for that reason I will not be taking questions today as well. Now, before I step away, I want to thank the attorneys, the FBI agents, the analysts, the professional staff who helped us conduct this investigation in a fair and independent manner. These individuals who spent nearly two years with the special counsel's office were of the highest integrity. 
And I will close by reiterating the central allegation of our indictments that there were multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our election. And that allegation deserves the attention of every American. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Okay, so at the very end, that is him again slapping at President Trump, who has been ripping on Mueller's team as the 19 angry Democrats and, and all of this. So here's what this sets up. And now things get interesting. What Mueller, as I have been saying, basically says here is there may be enough in my report for you to launch an impeachment inquiry. There is not enough in my report for me to clearly state one way or the other whether the president engaged in criminal activity. And good news for me, I can't do it anyway because the OLC rules prevent me from doing that. Right? That is basically Mueller's statement. So now the ball is in Democrats' court. And this is almost Democrats' worst nightmare. In a way, this is almost the worst thing for Democrats because most Americans have already come to a conclusion about the report. And their conclusion is pretty simple and I think correct. The president acted incredibly badly. He acted dangerously with regard to his handling of the truth and fact, but he handled this non-criminally. And that means that they're kind of tired of this. And if you look at the polls, this is what Americans say. They say they are tired of the Russia stuff. They say they're not interested in more of this. They also say Trump was not exonerated and they don't like Trump's behavior. All of those things can be true at once. And the American public, I think, basically get it. The problem for Democrats is how are they going to justify to their base not opening an impeachment inquiry on the basis of what Robert Mueller just said? Mueller basically just said the door's open to impeachment. Enjoy. Here's a roadmap. Boom. Just pass it right over. I'm not going to prosecute because that's not what prosecutors do. But I didn't exonerate him. So if you guys want to go ahead and do it, all you. Nancy Pelosi does not want to impeach the president. She is not interested in impeachment inquiries. She thinks that Trump is beatable only if President Trump is made the issue of the election. And that issue can't be corruption. That issue has to be character. Nancy Pelosi thinks that if Donald Trump acts like a crazy person, basically, he loses the presidency. But if this turns into an impeachment fight, there will be a backlash and most Americans will say, OK, so basically this is badly motivated. This is a bunch of Democrats who just want Trump out and now they're looking for an excuse to do it. There's nothing prosecutable here. Mueller didn't even recommend criminal prosecution. So we're done. And most Americans are ready to be done with this. But most members of the Democratic base are certainly not ready to be done with this. So what? Mueller actually just did is he gave impeachment a shot in the arm at a time when Democrats don't necessarily want it. And you can see this gap between the Democratic base and the Democratic leadership emerging pretty much every day. Now, very few Republicans are calling for impeachment at this point. Maybe the only Republican that I can see who's calling for impeachment is Justin uh, Amash, who is the Republican congressperson from Michigan. Now, Amash is being ripped up and down by a bunch of people on the right who are saying that he's acting in bad faith. Now, I've had Justin Amash on our radio program. I think that he is a, a solid libertarian. I don't think he is doing this in bad faith. I don't think he has ulterior motives. I think he believes what he believes. Yesterday, he did a, a long town hall event in which he talked about President Trump's impeachment. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like. I think it's really important that we do our job as a Congress, that we not allow misconduct to go undeterred. I want to salute your courage. Now, here's, here's one of the things that's happening here. People are, are saying, well, look, Amash has a, a huge base of people supporting him. Well, no, he said that he wants the president impeached. There are a lot of people on the left who want the president impeached. And so he's gaining some strange new respect right here. You can see not a lot of Trump voters in the room when Amash is speaking about impeachment. And he receives that standing ovation. And then Amash is specifically asked 
about whether he's just anti-Trump and does that make him non-conservative? Namash makes a pretty good point, which is, look, Trump is not the standard for conservatism. I have the best voting record in Congress when it comes to spending, for example. That's accurate. The conflation of Trump and conservatism is not accurate. With that said, with that said, Amash's case for impeachment is not particularly strong. So Amash tweeted out this long tweet thread yesterday about William Barr and about President Trump. And I want to go through it because I think that it is worthwhile talking about the argument for impeachment so we can be intellectually honest about how strong it is or how not strong it is. So Justin Amash, it's, it's amazing, but a libertarian Republican congressperson is making what I consider to be the most legally tenable case for impeachment that I've heard. No one on the Democratic side is making this case. Democrats are basically just saying, we hate Trump, get him out. I have not heard an articulate case from anyone on the Democratic side because here's the problem. They overshot the mark by a wide margin. Right? People like Adam Schiff were out there saying for years that Trump was a Putin plant. And when it turns out he's not a Putin plant, Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff is, is out there basically with squat. Well, Justin Amash, here's, here's the case Justin Amash makes. So he tweeted this out yesterday. And I think it's worth going through so that you hear the argument and you hear the counter argument because I disagree with, with Representative Amash. So he tweeted out, Attorney General Barr has deliberately misrepresented key aspects of Mueller's report and decisions in the investigation, which has helped further the president's false narrative about the investigation. After receiving Mueller's report, Barr wrote and released a letter on March 24th describing Barr's own decision not to indict the president for obstruction of justice. That letter selectively quotes and summarizes points in Mueller's report in misleading ways. So now he's accusing Barr of effectively acting as a wingman for, for Trump. It says Mueller's report says he chose not to decide whether Trump broke the law because there's an official DOJ opinion that indicting a sitting president is unconstitutional and because of concerns about impacting the president's ability to govern and preempting possible impeachment. Barr's letter doesn't mention those issues when explaining why Mueller chose not to make a prosecutorial decision. He instead selectively quotes Mueller in a way that makes it sound falsely as if Mueller's decision stemmed from legal factual issues specific to Trump's actions. Well, not really, because what Barr says is, look, I don't have the grounds for a criminal prosecution because the fact is that you have to find corrupt intent in order to charge obstruction of justice. And the report, as I have read it, does not actually reach the threshold standard for corrupt intent necessary under law. Mueller refused to come to a conclusion. And as Barr openly testified, Mueller said to me that he was not clear on whether he would prosecute the president or not in the absence of OLC considerations. Amash says, Mueller finds considerable evidence that several of Trump's actions detailed in the report meet the elements of obstruction. And Mueller's constitutional and prudential issues with indicting a sitting president would preclude indictment regardless of what he found. Okay, well, it is true that Mueller does suggest that there may be evidence for prosecution, but he does not actually recommend prosecution, which theoretically he could have done. He could have said to Barr, listen, the OLC report says I can't prosecute. Also, if it weren't for the OLC report, I'd prosecute. It is also worthwhile noting here that when Amash says basically that that is what Mueller is saying in that report, Mueller himself does not say that. Amash then says, in noting why Barr thought the president's intent in impeding the investigation was insufficient to establish obstruction, Barr selectively quotes Mueller to make it sound as if his analysis was much closer to Barr's analysis than it actually was. Barr quotes Mueller saying the evidence didn't establish that Trump was personally involved in crimes related to Russian election interference. And Barr then claims that Mueller found that fact relevant as to whether the president had the intent to obstruct justice. Actually, that's not right. Barr does not say that Mueller exonerated Trump. Barr said that Barr exonerates Trump, right? Barr said that Mueller did not uncover underlying crime that would hint at corrupt intent that would be necessary to prosecute obstruction of justice. So I think Amash is just misreading Barr's letter here. 
Amash continues, Mueller's quote is taken from a section in which he describes other improper motives Trump could have had and notes, the injury to the integrity of the justice system is the same regardless of whether a person committed an underlying crime. None of that is in Barr's letter. Well, it doesn't have to be in Barr's letter because again, Barr's four-page letter is a synopsis of the legal finding. It is not a synopsis of all of the bad crap that Mueller said about Trump. If you want to read all the bad crap Mueller said about Trump, there's a 448-page report and it's out there, man. And you know who declassified that and released it? That would have been the Attorney General, William Barr. Amash then says, as a result of Barr's March 24th letter, the public and Congress were misled. Mueller himself notes this in a March 27th letter to Barr, saying that Barr's letter did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office's work and conclusions. And then he quotes Mueller talking about there's public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. And again, as I said at the time, I think Mueller was ticked off that Barr's report basically was, here's my legal finding, not here's all the bad crap I have to say about President Trump. Good news for both Mueller and Justin Amash. We have the 448-page report sitting before us. So if Barr was trying to obstruct the bad crap about Trump, giant fail on his part. Amash says, to alleviate the misunderstandings that have arisen, Mueller urged the release of the report's introductions and executive summaries, which he had told Barr accurately summarized the office's work and conclusions. Barr declined. He allowed the confusion to fester and only released the materials three weeks later with the full redacted report. In the interim, Barr testified before a House committee and was misleading about his knowledge of Mueller's concerns. Barr was asked about the reports that members of Mueller's team are frustrated with the limited information included in your March 24th letter, that it does not adequately or accurately necessarily portray the report's findings. Do you know what they're referencing with that? And Barr said, no, I don't. I suspect that they probably wanted more put out. Okay, well, that's accurate. Yet Mueller had directly raised those concerns to Barr, and Barr says he suspects they probably wanted more materials put out, as if Mueller hadn't directly told him that. That's pretty weak tea, Representative Amash. So, in other words, Barr said, I don't really know what they want. Probably they just want more out there. But from a legal standard, I don't really get it. And Amash is saying that that was Barr lying. I don't think that's correct. Amash continues, in subsequent statements and testimony, Barr used further misrepresentations to help build the president's false narrative that the investigation was unjustified. Barr notes that Mueller did not find any conspiracy to violate U.S. law involving Russia-linked persons and any persons associated with the Trump campaign. He then declares that Mueller found no collusion and implies falsely the investigation was baseless. Well, no, he didn't say the investigation was baseless. He said that it may have been baseless, but we do not know that at this point. Amash says whether there's enough evidence for a conviction of a specific crime, which Mueller thought was appropriate to charge, is a different and much higher standard than whether the people who Mueller investigated had done anything worthy of investigation. Well, I agree with that. And what Amash is saying is maybe the investigation was initiated under proper auspices and it didn't find any crime. I'm perfectly willing to hear that, but I don't think that Barr is basically disagreeing with that. Amash then continues. He says, the report says that the president's counsel was told that interviewing him was vital to Mueller's investigation and that it would be in the interest of the public and the presidency. Still, Trump refused. The president instead gave written answers submitted by the special counsel. Mueller found them inadequate, again sought to interview the president. Ultimately, the special counsel recognized that the president would not be interviewed voluntarily and chose not to subpoena him because of concerns that the resulting litigation would delay the completion of the investigation. Okay, I think everybody recognizes the real reason Trump wasn't getting in front of the special counsel is because Trump talks a lot. A lot of stuff falls out of that face right there. And the possibility that a lawyer would ever let Trump talk in front of, a, of an FBI investigator, you'd have to be insane as Trump's lawyer to let him do that. The chances that he perjures himself just by being Trump are extraordinarily high. This is a guy who says he knows everything there is to know about airplanes. I mean, that's who President Trump is. So if you're his lawyer, there's no way you let him get in front of that. So Amash is making the case for impeachment. I think that it's a weak case, but there's going to be a lot of pressure on Democrats now to move forward with impeachment in the aftermath of all of this. I think that's a big mistake for Democrats. I think Nancy Pelosi knows it. So in some ways, you know, it's a bad news day for President Trump, 
in some ways, it's a bad news day for Nancy Pelosi because suddenly the onus is on her. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like today. I don't know if you saw this thing from America's Got Talent. Not a show that I watched, but it started making the rounds yesterday. It's an amazing, amazing clip. So there's this guy, can't remember his name, who went, who is autistic and blind. And he is brought onto America's Got Talent to play a song and sing. And he is led out there by his mom. And he sits down at the piano and then this happens. I've been to so many places in my life and time. I've sung a lot of songs and I made some bad rhymes. But when my life is over, Amazing. So that is Donny Hathaway's A Song For You that he is singing. His mom said and told the crowd, we found out that he loved music really early on. Through music and performing, he was able to withstand living in this world because when you're autistic, it's really hard to do what everyone else does. It has actually saved his life playing music. Everybody was basically crying. Lee was advanced straight to the finals of America's Got Talent, as well he should be. That's an amazing, amazing thing. God creates all sorts of miracles. This guy is a miracle, and that is an amazing thing. And I'd just like to remind folks that there are a lot of people who believe that people who are autistic and people who have a condition like that, that if you find out that your kid is going to be like that in the womb, that abortion is an appropriate solution. I know that that is not a video about abortion, but to me, it's a video about the innate value of human life and the creativity of human beings. I mean, every life is indeed invaluable. And this guy is a, a proof positive of that. Just amazing stuff. Really, really amazing. Okay, other things that I like. So there is a, a movie that I watched over the weekend that has gotten no attention. I have to admit, I'm a Gerard Butler fan. But the big question about Gerard Butler was, can he act? It turns out the answer is yes. There's this really creepy little almost horror film called The Vanishing. That's almost a riff on Treasure of the Sierra Madre about what happens to three people when they discover a chest of gold. They're lighthouse keepers. And Gerard Butler is pretty terrific in it. The movie didn't get huge play, but the movie is, is pretty good. Here's a little bit of the trailer. We don't talk about this. You tell no one, and I mean absolutely no one, one more spoken, and we are dead. And when we get back? Nothing. We carry on. And you do exactly as I say. Movie's worth watching. It's pretty cool. So go check out that movie. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty... Pretty good stuff. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. Okay, so thing that I hate, number one. It's pretty incredible. There is a, there is a study that is out today. And what the study shows, of course, of course, is that effectively speaking, all of the talk about white privilege that is supposed to make America stronger does not, in fact, do that. The study, according to Robbie Suave, writing at Reason, Robbie's a really good columnist over there. He says, does educating people about white privilege, the idea that for white people, their race is a boon, but for black people, a drawback, at least in certain social situations, make them more empathetic? A fascinating new study suggests that the kind of racism awareness training taught in many university classrooms is not only useless, but is actually detrimental. The study was published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology in April. 
Researchers provided participants with some academic literature explaining the concept of white privilege and then asked them to gauge their reactions to hearing a story about an unfortunate man. For some participants, the man was described as black. For others, he was described as white. Researchers also ran a separate experiment in which the participants were not told about white privilege before reacting to the story. And then they queried both sets of participants about their political beliefs. What they found is that conservatives who had learned about white privilege were no more sympathetic to the poor black man than conservatives who had not learned about white privilege. For liberals, the results were alarming. Liberals who read the educational materials about white privilege were similarly unsympathetic to the poor black man as liberals in the second experiment, but they were even more unsympathetic to the poor white man. So in other words, all the talk about white privilege makes liberals worse people. Conservatives are exactly the same. Like, okay, well, you know what? I'm gonna call bull crap on all that and people who are poor are poor and people who are not poor are not poor and we don't care. And liberals went, okay, well, we now agree that white privilege is, is a thing. That's not gonna make me any more sympathetic to black people because we're all already super sympathetic to black folks. But if there's a poor white guy, screw that guy. White privilege, which is predictably the outcome. Everyone who has watched politics or dealt with people in politics knows this. Anybody who's dealt with folks on a college campus knows this. This is the wages of the interpretation of Kimberly Crenshaw's intersectionality that predominates on college campuses. Now, there are people who say that's a misinterpretation of Crenshaw's theory. Fine, whatever. If you're going to talk about how it is actually applied in real life on college campuses, it is exactly this garbage where you are told that poor white people are privileged, poor black people are not privileged, and therefore we have to be unsympathetic to poor white people. This experiment is proof positive as to what everyone knows. Erin Cooley is one of the study's authors and an assistant professor of psychology at Colgate. She says, what we found startling was that white privilege lessons didn't increase liberal sympathy for poor black people. Instead, the lessons decreased liberal sympathy for poor white people, which led them to blame white people more for their own poverty. They seem to think that if a person is poor despite all the privileges of being white, there really must be something wrong with them. Uh-huh. Yep. There you go. So that is, that is solid stuff. Thank you, college campuses, for making the world worse. You can always be counted on to really do that sort of yeoman's work. Okay, well, we're going to be back here later today with a lot more. We're going to talk about Clarence Thomas writing a blistering concurrence in an abortion case at the Supreme Court. We're also going to do some more analysis of the Mueller statement, what it means for the future of impeachment. We'll get to all of that today, a little bit later on, two additional hours a day. This is why you should subscribe. If not, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright, Daily Wire 2019. Hey everybody, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Robert Mueller has made a statement, and James Comey has written an op-ed for The Washington Post, and both former FBI guys have made it clear they don't like Donald Trump, and they think their investigations were peachy keen. And I think we should listen very carefully to what they have to say before we make a final decision as to how many of these guys we can send to prison where they belong. That's on The Andrew Clavin Show, plus the mailbag. I'm Andrew Clavin. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.